Greetings and salutations. Hi. I'm Josh Belcher. Get the super sauce. I'll change into my super suit. <laughs> this is Uncharted. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all shapes, sorts, and sizes. This is Josh Belcher, host of the Uncharted Podcast. Sorry if I'm being a little bit quiet. I just got home in Middle Tennessee. It's like 3 o'clock in the morning because I decided to take a road trip. I guess you could call it a day trip to St. Louis, Missouri. And I did it in one shot, 16-hour day. Drove up there, saw what I wanted to see, came right back home, landed, and remembered I forgot to do an intro for this week's amazing and wonderful podcast. So I've got a little bit of a science thing going on, uh, not COVID, I don't think, at least I don't hope. I think it's just your average, uh, you know, seasonal change um, feelings as far as like uh, my throat's a little hoarse and so on. And I'm being quiet because I don't want to wake anybody up. But um, anyway, uh, St. Louis was awesome. I got to see the uh, Gateway Arch. That's quite an anomaly. Uh, it's very interesting. And uh, it rained a little bit, so I didn't get to uh, do a whole lot with it. Took a couple of pictures and got to uh, you know, see it there for a few minutes. But it was pouring down. And then, of course, when I left, it stopped. And... Uh, Saw the National Blues Museum in St. Louis. Uh, a lot of neat stuff in there. Uh, they had a nice uh, display of like, uh, you know, custom made, homemade guitars, like the cigar box guitars and things like that. Got to strum a couple of them and, you know, some really neat designs there. So if you're ever in St. Louis, um, check out the National Blues Museum. Got a lot of stuff, a lot of historical stuff. Uh, you got some Chuck Berry stuff in there. You know, he's. Uh, from the St. Louis area. I uh, definitely recommend that. Um, thought St. Louis was uh, probably the cleanest, uh, or one of the cleanest, if not the cleanest uh, city, uh, metropolitan areas I've ever been in. I was thoroughly surprised uh, at how clean it was and how, uh, you know, just uh, seemed like a very harmonious place. Uh, yeah, I didn't see a lot of trash or, or anything on the streets um so uh really really impressed by that uh the outskirts not so much uh, some of the outskirt areas kind of look like detroit but within the uh major confines of st louis uh, very clean very uh, very nice area i was thoroughly impressed speaking of uh, chuck berry i actually went to his house there, uh, the state, as far as I know, and don't hold me to this, I just read it, but uh, I believe the state owns it now, and they're going to clean it up and turn it into a museum of sorts. Um, right now, it's kind of just sitting there, uh, you know, gathering uh, dust or whatever. You, I don't think anybody, you know, has occupied it in a while, but anyway, uh, Chuck Berry's home in St. Louis, uh, where he wrote, you know, a lot of his hits like uh, Maybelline and... Uh, Johnny Be Good, Rollover Beethoven, a whole bunch of stuff. I got to sit on the front porch there, took a couple of pictures. That was thrilling. I got to pay my respects to um, one of the greatest to ever play uh, in music in any genre and uh, the father of rock and roll, Chuck Berry. So that was really, really neat. 
and uh, other than that I'm back home now and uh, i'm gonna quit john because i have some really awesome guests on this podcast uh, they both brought a lot to the table very talented uh, in their crafts a musician and a comedian we've got a uh, guitar slinger singer rod abernathy and we have stand-up comedian kelly kells so uh, we'll get on with the podcast and we will let them do their thing uh, as uh, I got to interview them, and they were very, very awesome uh, to spend some time with and talk with. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, that's this week's Josh Belcher Uncharted podcast. Here we go. A true Renaissance man in every sense of the word, Rod Abernathy is on this week's Uncharted podcast. It was a whole lot of fun getting to interview him. He is an excellent singer-songwriter, a phenomenal guitar player. He's got a new album coming out called Normal Isn't Normal Anymore in February. And in my opinion, he is the working class man's Mark Knopfler. Be sure and check him out wherever you listen to music. That interview's next. Enjoy. I was, I was going to comment and tell you that uh, I like some, some vocalists... Uh, their their uh, voice their speaking voice sounds just like the way they sing and yours does that and I really dig that. Oh, cool. Well, yeah, I've I, been told I sound kind of like a monkey drinking tequila. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it, yeah. Anyway, it's a pleasure to meet yeah. you, man. You too. Oh, even over the phone during this pandemic. But anyway, uh, uh, delight. I love this uh, this album. I'm, I'm a huge fan now. Not just your vocal constraints, but your ability to, uh, as we call, a uh, tear a guitar up here in the South. I know you've heard that a time or two. Wow, well, um, that's very kind of you. Very kind. And uh, you know, normal isn't normal anymore. I understand this was all written and recorded pre-pandemic. Does that mean that you're a clairvoyant? That you had a premonition or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, you know, I was just fed up with watching uh, so much news that I had no control over. I mean, that's kind of normal. Everybody, you know, you kind of go, well, what are we going to do about that? What are we going to do about that? And being on the road pretty heavily the past three years, I was talking to a lot of people, uh, meeting a lot of people and they all had the same concern like man normal just isn't normal anymore things are changing and um you know the song goes through a lot of scenarios um i, I don't want to get into that too heavy but i just thought well i'll write what is sort of my protest song but you know not really a protest song but just an observation yeah, and then uh, we went in. I've luckily I found the greatest guy to help me get, you know, get it down uh, and record it, and that was Nielsen Hubbard. He said, "Man, I dig this song. Let's um, let's go in the studio and you know make things happen." So you know, I, I have to give him a lot of credit for making it sound the way it did because I wasn't sure exactly how. I was going to do it. Nielsen is a really good visionary on that stuff. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, one of my things about uh, Nielsen Hubbard was he captured your uh, your vocals and your guitar skills, I mean, elegantly, like it was just like right on the money, like like you're like a, a friend he's had for like a long time. Did you guys know each other prior to this, or, or you had like a relationship? We, 
We we didn't, but I'm good friends with Ordinary Elephant. I'm not sure yeah. if you're familiar with them, but they had gone in the studio, um, you know, I forgot how long before, but it was earlier in, in the year, and they loved Nielsen. And I was looking for a new producer. I researched for someone that I thought might be able to help me, and I didn't really plan on going to Nashville, but I didn't care where I went just as long as I found somebody. Yeah, sure. And funny funny thing, Nielsen, uh, right away he said, Rod, I, I want you to just not think about your vocal too much. I, I, I want you just to, you know, sing, come in here and sing. And, you know, you hear that a lot from people, but it's rare that you can find someone who will actually allow you to relax and just do that. And, you know, I've, I've sung a lot of different styles all my career. Um, and I was a pretty heavy rock singer in the 80s. And um, he was like, man, you just need to dirty it up a little bit or just, you know, sing, sing from the gut. And then like a week before we went in the studio, I got this terrible cold. And I said, Nielsen, we're in trouble, man. Got a really bad cold. He said, no, man, it's going to sound great. <laughs> and lo and behold, when I got there, I didn't have so much of the cold, but I think it, um, my voice wasn't as smooth, and it worked really well for a lot of the tunes that I was doing. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's a long Yeah, it's, it's, it's got kind of like that, like that earthy, grainy, gritty almost just, like it's just it's just a passionate collection of a a man's feelings and his guitar. It's just uh, it's it's one of my favorite things to sit back and just uh, listen to collectively and just because that way it enables you to like hear the song and the and what what's going on behind it. I mean, not that I'm not a, a band guy and I love all the instruments, but every once in a while you just want something kind of stripped down to where you could just get to the core of what's going on uh, with the song. And I think you guys, you know. Did that light? Thanks, man. Yeah, uh, the song uh, "My Father Was a Quiet Man." Uh, I really enjoyed that one. Um, not that my dad was a quiet man, but I was wondering. Uh, it just sounded so personal. That, is that about your actual father? Oh yeah, yeah. And he was he was pretty quiet. Uh, <laughs> I mean, when he said something, you paid attention, and sure. you know, like, oh, you didn't go. What did Dad say? <laughs> You're like when he said, "No, you, you paid attention to it." But he was a very kind and uh, generous guy, and people around town loved him. Um, but he had this way of doing things—not just saying something. He would just kind of do it. Like when he took me to uh, Spartanburg to buy my first electric guitar. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember him just saying, "Let's get in the car." I mean, he didn't really say, I'm going to buy you a new guitar. He just did it. And we went to Spartanburg, and he had um, – I was playing my brother's really bad, some cheap guitar, and I was struggling with it. And went to Spartanburg, walked into Alexander's Music Store, and I'm like, why are we here? <laughs> and uh, my dad said, you know, look around. And that was that was a you know story that's in the song. Yeah, yeah, I loved um, it. So uh, that that song was really hard to write because I mean you hear that from a lot of guys or a lot of people. That song was hard to write, but 
it was so emotional and I was trying to tell a story. I didn't want it to get too, you know, too personal with it, but it just kind of came out. And now when I sing it, uh, I haven't been singing it in public the past nine months, but when I was performing it, I had people come up and say, that song about your dad, that was my dad too. And it just means so much to me that it reaches people. You know. Yeah, um, what what drew it to me was that um, it wasn't so much – what I liked about it is, like, it wasn't so much my dad, but my first instrument experience, uh, my mother, who, uh, you know, was very supportive of me. And, you know, I wanted to be a drummer, and just I remember that, that birthday I got that first kit, you know, brought it home unbeknownst to me getting it. It's just – it's like someone that, you know, you're – is investing in you and saying they believe in something you love and just – that's what I gathered out of it. Like your dad, he didn't have to say much, but he, he spoke plenty when he told you to go in there and look around. And I just thought it was fantastic. Thank you, man. And, you know, I got to add to that. When I told him I wanted to be a musician for a living, you know, after I got out of college, on the other end, you could see both of them kind of go, uh-oh, what does that mean? What's yeah. he going to do? Yeah. But they were always supportive, you know, and – um they never said don't do that you know yeah that that's how uh, that's how my mom and it was my my dad's a musician but he actually was more on the absentee ballot no pun intended but um you know yeah. it, it's it's a hard road uh, you know living here close to music city you know every year you see a thousand different new ones with all the same dream and it never gets out of your system, whether I'm playing or podcasting or anything. But yeah, once you get seeped into your veins, it, it's not coming out. There's no, uh, there's no AA for music. <laughs> nope, nope. And I mean, I, I would say we've all kind of been there in one way or the other. If you're mu- you're a musician, you know, you have to learn how to have patience, and you got to, as I say, fast during the feast. And, yep. Um, I've told many of people that music chooses you. You don't choose music, you know, kind of like it chooses you and you can't get away from it. Um, That's just the truth that's ever been told. Um, But, yeah, just uh, kudos. That song is marvelous. It's uh, Thank you. You're making my day. You're making my week, Josh. Without sounding so cheesy, I mean, it could be a movie. Like, it could be a whole thing. Like, uh, you could probably sell the rights and – you know, have somebody kind of like a strong, silent type play the dad. I don't know who you could pick, though. Uh, there'd be a couple to choose from, but, you know, just just real great. Anyway, I, I like that. And then another one I really enjoyed, of course, was Birds in the Chimney. That reminded me, not the way you wrote it, but, you know, how, uh, you know, Paul McCartney's Blackbird, you know, singing oh, in the yeah. night, and then you've got these birds in the chimney, and, you know, people have experienced it, and I – I enjoyed that as well. I like to hear a little bit of that backstory. Is that one of your personal ones as well? Yeah, yeah, and we really did have uh, chimney swifts that came and <laughs> nested in our chimney. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I'm sure some people, some of your listeners have. Once yeah. they get in there, you can't get rid of them. I think it's even against the law to try to get them out of the nest. Oh, they, really? wow. Yeah, you, you have to wait for them to nest and and babies to hatch and leave and then you can try to you know cap up your chimney or something but they came and you know i'm like there's one there's a bird stuck in the chimney 
and then the next week um, that bird sure is singing a lot and then in two <laughs> weeks it was like you know a choir of baby birds and you would walk into the living room with the chimney and they would just roar uh, it was crazy yeah so uh, uh lisa bastoni who is a great singer of her in her own right does videos and she just finished an animated video for that song oh, and it's perfect. it's awesome um i think it should be out in a couple of weeks but i think you really like it i'm excited um, i'm looking forward to that yeah uh, that's going to be great I, I don't i haven't even seen it i just know it's going to be fantastic but your uh your songwriting is like it's so descriptive like you um you have the uh the ability like uh, like your um your Bob Dylan's and your Levon Helms these guys or Chris Chris Harpson, they just write a song and you 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 see an adventure whether you experienced it or not you don't get much of that these days and uh, that's just a great gift I'm glad you hone it uh, to perfection well thanks man i sometimes I'm like any songwriter you come up with a one line and you just can't do it and then you carry it and then a year later you go, oh, I got it. <laughs> yep. And um, the first album, The Man I'm Supposed to Be, well, I say first, my last album that I had, that was a collection of tunes that I'd written over a long period of time. But this album, Normal Isn't Normal Anymore, I wrote this one in about a six-month period, and I just feel like it's more cohesive, it's more together Um and it's also hard to inject my guitar instrumentals in the in an album like this, but Nielsen did it, and um, you know I I love playing guitar, so I really want that to be a part of what I'm doing right now. Yeah, it glides perfectly, and like I said, for for what my opinion's worth, I just thought you know you're an everyday man's Mark Knopfler because you you you've got the skills and the vocals that you're just more in this particular piece just more stripped down, you know, just acoustic versus how he's more, you know, electric with, with most of his offerings. But, you know, that's, that's how I describe you. Well, that's an amazing thing to say, man. I mean, that, that I'm truly honored that you would even think that. Cause well, before, Mark not, before, the, you know. <laughs> before the world goes down, um, him and Emilio Harris played at the Ryman and I got to see it. And played, oh, wow. Yeah. He played a lot more acoustic. And when I heard it, that's exactly what I thought because you like him, you know, you can just flat, you know, tear it up and pick it and, and sing at the same time. And a lot, a lot of people have that gift. You know, a lot of your vocalists, they're playing guitar, they're just hitting the rhythm. But you're one of those that can just solo and do leads and sing. And, you know, there's not many out there that can, can hold their own. So I, I really I really yeah. like that. It, it'd be fun to accompany. Like, you know, when I was listening, I'm tapping on the steering wheel like drummers do. And I'm like, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> that would be cool. I'd yep. love that. That would be you know, really cool. We spoke on it earlier, and I'd never heard the song, but um, even so, I did listen to it, and I believe yours is better. But the, the changing, changing is like the uh, literally the icing on the cake on this album. Uh, you capture that perfectly because as a man that just turned 38 in October, you know, I felt every note, and I was like, man, this this sounds like how I feel currently. So uh, I'm yeah. glad you, you you know you selected and, and decided to do that one. Well, you can blame my son for that. <laughs> he uh he he loves John Mayer and I do too and uh, a couple of years ago might have been three years ago he said dad you got to hear John Mayer's new album and then he started playing it and then changing came on and it just hit me 
it's sort of like, I guess it hit you. I'm like, that's dead on. Yeah. I mean, that, um, how could he be so intuitive at his age to know that that song is, is global? Doesn't matter how old you are or where you live. I mean, it's, it is about changing. And I just took it upon myself to make my own version of it. And then Nielsen again said, well, let's, let's keep it simple, but let's do this and let's do this. And it, it worked out great. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolute perfection. That's another guy I, I didn't, you know, compare you to because, you know, he's often overlooked because he does a lot of chick songs. But uh, John Mayer, he's on point, like the John Mayer Trio. and He's a great uh, guitar smith. And like you said, he does. He also captures songs that you wouldn't think he would sing. They're just on point, like the ones about daughters. I mean, who would think a guy yeah. who doesn't have any daughters yet, you know, knows how to sing about treating them. And then, you know, of course, he's got... 10,000 sitting in the row and they're just swooning over him. He just, he knows what to do. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> we're on board. Yeah. With more power to him. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I can't blame the guy's hustle. More power to yeah. him. Let's, uh, let's hit on something that really interests me as I was reading the meat of your, um, you know, your bio there is that I've never known anyone who, who deals with video games. You produce and score them. Like what, what's the story of this? How'd you get into that? That's a lifetime story, Josh. Um, <laughs> how many days do we have? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I came out of, uh, I went to UNC Chapel Hill, studied music. And so I got somewhat of a classical background and, you know, learned how to do orchestra and stuff. And then I became a rock singer because uh, that's what I wanted to do. And then... Uh, this is a funny story. Do you remember a show called Star Search or even know about the show Ed called McMahon, Star Search? Right? Ed McMahon. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I went on that show. I lost on Star Search. Really? As a solo act. And it, I went on that show as sort of a dare. Uh, I was thinking about in the mid 80s, I was thinking, well, I'm, I'm really tired of being on the road. I want to compose. You know, I want to write music for film, TV, and there were no video game opportunities back then. So I auditioned for Star Search, and I, hell, I got on the show. And I went, okay, uh, I'll do it. But what happened was I, I went on the show. I did an original song, and I lost. And it was probably the best thing that could have happened because I came back to North Carolina and just got down to my composing, writing music for commercials and TV and um through that, about 10 years after that, a game company in North Carolina asked me to do a video game. And I was a gamer, but I didn't know that people could, you know, compose music for the video games using orchestra. Uh-huh. I did that and got my foot in the door. And then about three years after that, I won a uh, video game soundtrack of the year award. Wow. Um, and that brought in a lot of work. And before I knew it, I was just doing nothing but composing for video games. Um, uh, and that's kind of where it ended up being for like 15 years. Um, so I've been able to work with live orchestras all over the country. Uh, even, um, I've done remote recording with orchestras in Slovakia with Bratislava. It's crazy. Sure. So um, 
this leads to the other part, the end of that story was about eight years ago, I wanted to start playing again. I kept looking at my acoustic guitar, uh, the J200. That, um, that's another story I'll tell you about. Son. But I thought, when am I ever going to get back to playing guitar? And one morning, I, re- I literally remember the morning I was sitting in the studio going, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it. And so I called up a friend who had a club here in Raleigh. I said, I want to do a one night a week at the club, acoustic night. And I would invite friends to play, and then I would play. And over a year's time, I got into it, and that's how I started coming back again and doing it. Well, that's great. And I I for sure am glad you did because, I mean, I love discovering music and, and, you know, as a guy who – who podcast, I get tons of invites to talk to people and not to sell anybody short, but, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, you listen to artists and you're like, nah, this just isn't for me, you know, but, you know, more power to them. And then you get uh, your your uh, album, which is a complete gift from beginning to end, and you're like, wow, I can't wait to get in there and just pick that guy's brain. But I think you got a masterpiece <laughs> on your hands. And uh, but when I read the gaming thing, it's like, I just thought that was interesting because you don't run into many people. Oh, what do you do? You know, I, I uh, you know, compose video games. Let alone, like you said, you won what I guess is the equivalent of a Grammy for for your uh, soundtrack, which is for the Hobbit, right? You did the Hobbit video game. I did the Hobbit, and then I produced music for a game called Dead Space, and that audio and music won a BAFTA, which wow. is like that was a that just blew my mind. And, That's when you um, your place at the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, people, I I don't really tell people that, you know, when I'm playing or doing my folk thing, which is what I am now. I'm a folk singer. I'm back to where I started when I got out of college. Um, it's kind of weird. People say, well, you compose for video games and, and stuff. And I went, yeah. And I, I kind of look at myself going, yeah. I guess I do that now, or I did, or what? <laughs> because I'm so much into guitar and have been playing live so much that it's like a different person to me, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, um, you know, in a, in a, you know, I uh, come back to the song, you know, uh, changing. It's just like, at least for my experience and, and what you kind of just described, it's like, you know, when I started out playing, I wanted to be a rock star, and then being in Nashville, I got into country. And now the stuff that I used to just couldn't get enough into my bloodstream, I'm more calm. And it kind of frightens me how calm I'm getting to where, like, just the simple stuff, I enjoy it more, you know. So it's like yeah. I guess you, uh, you know, you, you never constantly uh, get through evolving. And, and if you do, you know, it's just unfortunate you're at a standstill. You just – your taste is going to change. You know, your whole life's going to change. So you just – you got to go with the flow and embrace it, and that's when you, you know, discover new things that – you know, you really, really enjoy. You can't just stay, you know, on one track, I, I guess you could say. Well, exactly. And going with the flow is hard, man. You're I right. Mean, it, it, we all get into a rut or you might have a job you can't quit that doesn't pay that well, and but you can't quit because you don't have another job waiting for you on the other side or, um, you know, going with the flow. I, a lot of people, I mean, just think about how many people these days don't have insurance. They just don't. And then you've got the pandemic coming on. And what if you get the virus with no insurance? And then all of a sudden 
How are you going to pay all those bills? How do you go with that flow? And um, it's, I don't know where I'm going with that, but, you know, we all end up talking about COVID at one time or another. I mean, it just always sneaks into the conversation. Yeah, so. you, yeah, you can't escape it uh, in any scenario. It's just a part of your life. Anything you're doing, uh, it's in there. You know, I never thought in my lifetime I'd see where everywhere I go, you know, and one thing that blew my mind, uh, the other day when I went to go make a deposit in the bank, I wore a mask on in the bank. I never thought I'd be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, so. I know. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, and to me, it's kind of a matter of, okay, just wear the mask. I mean, I, I think we would be in a better place right now if we had all worn the mask earlier, but that's, you know, what are you going to do that yeah. in the past? I, um, I wear mine because I have, like I said, my mother who's, uh, you know, getting up there in her age. She you know, has got some health problems, and I don't want to be the cause of her. And, you know, knock on wood, I, I haven't caught COVID that I know. I've been yeah. tested a few times and been fortunate. But, yeah, like you said, uh, until we can get something figured out to where we can get a vaccine or to start yeah. the side, you know, if that's what we're working with, that's what we got to do. So Yeah, and it's going to happen. We'll get back to it. I mean, we will get back to playing live, but it's not going to be in a couple of months. Um, but I played for some friends around, a, you know, a patio fire. We were all distanced and uh, not long ago, and I hadn't played in, what, eight months for anybody? I mean, I've done live streaming, but live streaming is a different animal. Yep. And I thought to myself, man, this is why. I'm alive, <laughs> yeah, sure. you know, just to play. And it, it doesn't, honestly, if, if one thing that this whole pandemic has done, I think it's made a lot of people realize who they are. Um, and I don't know how to explain this, but you're by yourself a lot, of course, you yeah. know, and I've, I've gotten to know my style better. I've gotten to know, um, who I am just a little bit better. I feel like I've got more to say when I start playing again, I'm going to have a lot more to say. And I'm also going to have a lot more in common with these people because we've all been through this shit together. That's it. So, um, and Indeed. that's, again, that's what another year, that song I wrote another year. I mean, I just said, man, I, the older I get, the more I need people, yep. you know, just, just to get by. Um, and well, anyway, I don't want to hog the conversation here. No, it's fine. I, everything you're saying, I agree with you. It makes me think of something else. Just like when we do finally get back to it, one of the positives I think will come from it is that we'll all be so grateful to be in an atmosphere where we can hear music again or just be around somebody. We won't take it so much for granted, you know. No, no. Yeah, you take the back, suck it in. Yeah. It's really sad that a lot of the venues are going under. Indeed, yeah. And I, it breaks my heart, um, but I think it will return. And, you know, like anything, people really want to get together and, I mean, you know, to watch sports, to uh, go to church, to listen to music. Um, they just like, you know, community. And we need that live community feel uh, that's just in our blood. So. Yeah, it's a great thing when you get, you know, umpteenth amount of people in unison 
singing or chanting or, or, or watching and, and being, you know, in favor of all the same thing. It's really, it's really a great thing. And I think it's uh, what the human condition is all about. Yeah. You said you were a drummer. Are you still playing? Um, I'm not active, unfortunately. I've gotten caught by the adult life and work two jobs. And so um, my only outlet right now is studying, learning, and discussing with phenomenal artists such as yourself about their craft. And, and I thoroughly enjoy it. Um, you know, you were talking about COVID. I've been digging into a lot of books right now. I'm in the middle of Barry, uh, Barry Gordy's autobiography. Just oh, wow. That. Yeah, just, just ingraining it and studying more and, like, you know, he, he was a self-made man, and how he built an empire is just really mind-blowing. Yeah, and uh, it's amazing. I have a lot of respect for him and so many African-American artists back then yeah. who just, you know, it was hard, <laughs> just really hard. Well, what um, what impressed me, and, you, and like I said, you, you think kind of like I do, was the fact that, you know, this is an African-American man in the 60s when, you know, there were times he couldn't even eat in the same restaurant as white people. And when uh, Motown singers would come to Nashville, they would perform in front of, you know, white people and black people, and they had to spend the night at a local record press there in Nashville because no hotels would would book them. So they would spend the night in the place where their records were being pressed. Insane. Insane. Yeah. Um, it's like the uh, – I may be wrong. Don't quote me on this, but uh, people like Nat King Cole still had to go through the kitchen to perform in Las Vegas. Yeah, that's I mean, about 100% right. I bet that's true. But, I mean, just insane stuff, and hopefully – we're on the right, you know, track. I, I, it's, it's been way, way, way too long. It's been centuries too long. So. Yeah. Um, I agree. Yeah. One of the things I do, and it's not a huge change, but just from my perspective is that, you know, I was a creature of habit. When I would talk about somebody, I'd say, Hey, uh, you know, it was that black man, but now I've just on my own and I'll just say, Hey, it was that man. You uh -huh. know, I, I try to cut yeah. that out, but yeah, it just it baffles me. Um, you know, I fortunately never dealt with a lot of uh, prejudice or racism. You know, I played football or played music. You know, we all ate together. You know, whatever, hung out. It was no big deal. But, but yeah, it was. It wasn't uh, a couple of decades ago. You know, like I said, in the '60s, where you know, like you said, they would come perform and everybody would be there. Yet they they wouldn't accommodate them and let them stay in the hotel. You know, next to where they were performing. It's just. Yeah. Uh, we've uh I know. Yeah, well <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and America's the melting pot and that's the that's I think that's where we are our best with the um you know, just everybody, all the culture coming into one place. I mean it's um hopefully, you know, yeah. I'm not gonna get into politics with this, but hopefully we've got a lot of new things coming and you know yeah. some I uh, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. The one thing I will say, everybody just wants to be uh, loved and respected. It's two very yeah. simple things. That's right. Yeah, and that's it. But anyway, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm almost got to taking up a lot of your time. But uh, I no, really no, I really it. enjoyed this. Thank yeah. you for. Um, yeah. yeah, thank you. Me. And I'm a fan for life, and hopefully we can get you to Nashville to uh, to enjoy you. You know, like I said, probably in 2021 20, or 2022. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. I oh, really appreciate more, it. Uh, one more thing. Let's tell everybody your social medias and when they can get a hold of this album. Has it been, it's not been released yet, has it? No, it'll be released in February. 
February. So um, February. And if people want to check you out, what, are you on Instagram and everything? Could you give them your handles if you don't mind? Yeah, handle is easy. It's rodabernathy.com, and that's A B E R N E T H Y, Abernathy. So uh, they can find if you Google Rod Abernathy um, on any anything, you might get my video game stuff. But just keep <laughs> looking for a singer songwriter. Uh, my website, I have two websites. One's a composer site, and but the main one is my singer songwriter side. We've got a really funny stand up comedian on this week's Uncharted podcast. Kelly Kells is with us. She's coming to Zany's Nashville on Wednesday, November 18th at 7 p.m. Be sure to get your tickets with Vivica A. Fox Presents Funny by Nature Comedy Tour. She's bringing along some of her friends, Just Nesh, Ajima Franklin, and Crystal Powell. It was a pleasure getting to interview Kelly. She's a former educator, teacher, shaper of minds, who turned into a stand-up comedian, and I'm sure glad she did. Check her out on YouTube and her social medias. She is so flippin' funny. And also, like I said, be sure to go to zanies.com and get those tickets Wednesday, November 18th. Kelly Kells. That's the Funny by Nature comedy tour. That interview's next. Yes. Well, anyway, first of all, Kelly, thank you for taking the time. Uh, I'm a fan of comedy. Try to celebrate it. Uh, I love your stylings. Watch you on YouTube. You made me chuckle real hard about one subject I'll tell you about. And uh, what are you up to? You said you were in between flights. What, what, are you on tour? I, listen, I am on a grand tour, so not only am I touring with the Funny by Nature tour, but, you know, I still do my own individual project, so I'm coming from Chicago, yeah. and I had a, a layover, because <laughs> the flights are cheap, and you get a layover. <laughs> yeah, I hear yeah, you. I ran, yeah, I ran from one day to the next for this interview, because I couldn't miss it. Who's going to miss I, a, I, uh, the interview yeah. with you, Josh? It was, uh, and, and you got a great story, um. Usually I have a friend of mine co-host with me, and he, he's just broke into comedy, and you and him have something in common. He's a former teacher, and I just found out you used to be a teacher. That's, how do you make that jump? How do you go from molding young minds to bringing the funny, which is I'm glad you do because you do it real well? Well, I think that um, it's, a, it's obviously a seamless transition because as educators, you know, we clearly stand in front of an audience, meaning our students, every day, and we give them the best of us, right? And it's a lot of improv. It's a lot of improving and and knowing the material, right? When you're a teacher, you have to know what's next. So I think it just really prepares. We kind of like you ain't my co-host. Your co-host and me and I uh, we're ahead of the curve because we had that experience. Yeah. That's yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's so. And you then know uh, I I I didn't want to give up too much of your set, but you did in one of the YouTube videos I was watching. You covered one of my favorite things on a woman. And I've never had anybody address it. I love that arm jiggle. That's one of my favorite. <laughs> you know what, Josh? Do <laughs> when I heard your <laughs> voice, I said, "You know what, Josh would like a little arm jiggle." I knew yeah. it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, Josh, it's, it's, yeah. you know what it is? <laughs> it's one of those untapped markets that all women have. A lot of women are insecure about, but let's let's make light of it because there's a man in Tennessee, there's a man in Nebraska, and there's a man in Chicago <laughs> who loves arm fat. And yeah. just loves to be with the biggest woman in the art in the world who has the biggest arm. So. Yeah, that's it. Because yeah. I'm a big guy and a big woman. One thing that's good about it is like when you get done doing your thing, you're both hungry. You know, sometimes you're <laughs> But yeah, when you uh, when you 
covered that. It made me laugh because one of my unfortunate downfalls, like I said, women don't like it. That like if I get to loving on and rubbing the arms, some good arm jiggle. Oh my gosh, it's so comforting. See, and you know what? That's what I'm trying to change. That stigma, women. We need to love when men touch our arms, our our healthy arms, and we need to love when they touch our backpack. Because honestly, that's them just really approving of it. You want to be worried <laughs> if they don't touch it. That's if it. you went in the bed and your, and your man just touches your clavicle. You, that's what you need to worry about. It. You just, yeah, why are you only touching my neck? Touch yeah. my arm. It's my back face. <laughs> Gotta love it all. And your and your dance skills are on point too. I love that. Oh man, I've been dancing since I was a kid, and it, it doesn't change. Um, I was yeah. on cheerleading. I was on dance groups. Uh, I just been I just been an entertainer my whole life, and it just caught up to me in the best way possible. <laughs> and I'm yeah. using all those skills. And I'm using everything that I have, and I'm giving it to the stage every single time. Yeah, it's awesome to bring joy to people. And and, and that's one thing that you've got that I enjoy is that, like, I like a comedian that's going to engage because, you know, sometimes you can be at a place, like, you know, you're not always going to be at, like, a Zany's, like, in Nashville or a comedy store. Sometimes you're going to be at, like, Wally's, you know, diner or something. And these people, they just start yakking. But if you can capture their attention, then you got them. And I think you've got that. Oh, you got them. Yeah. yeah, thank you, Josh. Thank you. And it took me a while to realize what exactly what I was doing. But now that I'm fully aware of that capability, oh, baby, don't yeah. I utilize it. Yeah. <laughs> it's over. Well, um, uh, it made me think that first, uh, I, I read where, you know, your first uh, comedy set you did in, in 2009, you did the beautician or whatever. Did you freestyle that or did you prepare a set? What, what was that like? That must have been kind of nerve-wracking a little bit. Okay, so she told me, my beautician told me to go home and write and create a set. Like, and who knows what that means unless you're a comedian or yeah. active comedian. So I didn't know. I'm like, okay, create a set. I'm thinking five minutes. So I literally wrote word for word, five minutes worth of material. Uh-huh. You know, that's, that could be a bit much versus just like now I write, write bullet points and things like that. I just have a premise. So when I got up there, I totally kind of knew what I wanted to talk about because it was true to me. But all those word-for-word situations went out the window. So I just had to go with the flow and and be true to myself. And that's what really what it. That's when they stood up, they were standing for the for the the authentic authentic me. It wasn't really the joke. It was like, oh, I can relate. It was the relatability. I think. They stood yeah, yeah. Because my first show was the standing out. <laughs> hey. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing I like, too, seeing new comedians, I mean, I know you're established, but, like, when you see the new ones, like, back before the world closed down, is when the first time they get an applause break, that's like like heroin. You're hooked after somebody, you know, you get that <laughs> where the people start clapping for you. Hey, you know what? Ironically, ironically, it's the same drug we're chasing. Uh, I'm, I'm like that as well. I know that they're to see me. I know that, that the anticipation is high. but. Yeah. Until I get you guys, well, I usually get those first laughs as I walk out because I'm, I'm making eye contact and I'm giving them what they need before I yeah. even say a word on the mic. But when you do get that, just that, that laugh, that joy, you're like, oh, okay, let's go. Now I can work. Yeah, it's 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 a beautiful thing. It's it's truly it an is. art form. You know, I've studied it my whole life, and one thing for me, and and, and I was curious to get your opinion on this. Um, I'm a I'm 38 years old, and I grew up watching your Eddie Murphys and your Richard Pryors and your you know your Red Foxes, the guys that would like pick on everybody, say what they were meaning, those storytellers. But it seems like nowadays everybody's so sensitive in every aspect. 
like it, it's hard to be funny without being like almost politically correct. Do you struggle with that? Because it seems like you bear your heart and soul out there. Did you come from a era where you like people like that, like your Lunels, people who just told it like it is? So I do totally have that capability. Like, so I can I can roast with the best of them. Um, if they're the heckler, I'm able to just you know spin off of that and make sure that the heckler never wants to talk again during the show. And even when it comes to even when it comes to digging into those real life issues that may be hard to talk about, I speak on them. But I, the twist for me is that I just make it personal. And so yeah. when you make it personal, no one can tell you how to feel about your personal story. So it. it's from from my perspective, from me, from personal experience, this is how I feel about this subject, that subject. And if you don't like it, who gives a shit <laughs> at this point? I yeah. am on stage and I got your money. That's so, it. Got them both. Yeah. And uh, not even that, you may not like it, but it's going to be thought-provoking and it's going to yeah. make you think. And that's all comedy should do. It yeah. should make you think. I like it, like uh, you know, you, you know, I just named a few, but like even you know nowadays, like like how you do your comedy, or like Dave Chappelle. It's just I, I like the people that bear their soul out there because if you're gonna get us there and embellish stories, you're gonna have to have a great memory. So it's better to just tell it from your perspective, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're gonna what? embellish, you better remember those good parts too. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. What up? Uh, uh, one thing that interests me, you know, I was looking at the Zanies lineup, and, and which is, you know, it's got a lot of nice ladies on yours from different parts of the country. How did you guys get linked up with Vivica Fox for her to put her name on a comedy show for you fine ladies? Oh, wow. You know what? That's a question that, um, that's the infamous question. Vivica, first of all, is Vivica a comedian? How is Vivica presenting? Vivica is an entertainer, and when you entertain, you can do it all, right? And there's no boxing entertainment. So Vivica and I met on a tour that um, actually came to an end, but her and I stayed connected. And Uh so she has always been a person that's been very influential to me, a big sister, a motivator. And so I came to her one day. My husband and I were laying in the bed. James and I were laying in the bed. And he was like, babe, we need to do something big, and we just got to have the name. We have the talent. And we went to Vivica and said, hey, let's put together a tour. She said, come. You get everything together, I'll look at it, and I got your back. And I am a girl's girl. I am a team girl. I'm team. If I can win, all of us can win. So yeah. I went to I thought about some of my dopest female comedians in the game. And when I say in the game, it doesn't necessarily have to be the ones that have the most notoriety, the funniest to me, who make mm-hmm. me laugh, who I can watch time and time again, who yeah. I see the struggle, but I also see the hustle, and I see the bustle, and I see the stardom in them. So I went to Chicago, and I hooked up with Jesse, who's super dope. And I went to Mobile, Alabama, by way of Atlanta, and I hooked up with Estima Franklin. And I went to Tatum, Texas, by way of L.A., and I hooked up with Crystal Powell, and I said, hey, ladies, let's all bet on ourselves. And they were for it. I gave them the vision, and they could see it right then and there. And I think that's what it is. A lot of times, a lot of people have talent, but they don't have the vision. So we came together, and we're grinding it out, and we're creating our own lane. And it doesn't have to look no other way because it's ours. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that I love that. And, and plus, you know, like I said, uh, being a dad to two daughters, I, I'm pro ladies all the way. And and you said something in an interview prior to like how you said, and I loved it. That there's room for everybody, which is it's a cutthroat industry as it is. And I think if there's more people like you that felt that way, it would be a lot more of a beautiful space, you know, than everybody trying to step on each other's toes and just everybody share it because. 
you know, laughter is, is the best thing on earth is how we, you know, how we manage through these times right now. That's really one of my, uh, that's one of my slogans, one of my logos. Yeah. I even sell t-shirts that says laughter is healing for the soul. And people know that, like, laughter heals your soul. No matter what you're going through, you ever laugh to keep from going off on somebody? You ever, have you ever done that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and these people say, they better move because yeah. I'm about to blow. However, that laugh has them thrown up. But it can go either way. And it also calms you down versus yeah. being extremely mad. There's there's usually no way to go but down when you're mad. But when you're laughing, it can go either way. Let's just hope it goes good. Yeah, <laughs> you ever I'm see sure, somebody yeah, crazy sure laughing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I like the part to where you laugh so hard that your cheeks hurt when you're done. That's that's the best kind. Uh, I like that. Yeah, but, um, absolutely. Um, and I don't think they have a problem with uh, with you ladies. Uh, and I think all y'all have to bring something different to the table. Everybody's going to enjoy. It. But uh, I, I visited. I, I noticed, you know, you, you talk about Milwaukee, which is I visited. It. I love it. It's beautiful there. Is there a big comedy scene there? Like, because, you know, you don't – I know there are some funny people from Milwaukee, but I don't know – exactly what what it is like as far as doing comedy there like you could explain that a little bit well i think um so the midwest is not typical for comedy what chicago is chicago has produced some of the great and i'm fortunate enough to be so close now milwaukee uh i started a, uh, the longest running room to my record recognition or recollection is two funny fridays and we were doing that for each and every friday for two years straight and so bringing in national headliners to a small club, a venue. However, they just, they believed in me and they believed in my co-host. So they, they believed in that part. And that was comedians supporting comedians. Like, hey, you know, I normally don't do spots like this, but since you're doing this and we could put money in your pocket, you starting the market, that's it. But the market wasn't here. So for me, I had to either, could I, I had choices like, should I go to Chicago? Well, no, I visit Chicago enough to know that. I love them. I appreciate the the artist they made me, but um, I thought New York was a better fit for me. So when I moved to New York, it just, oh, God, it just took me to a different level. Uh-huh. And it made me see just perspective from all over the world because it's a melting pot. And I was able to get sharp in any type of room from mainstream to corporate to Christian to reggae to Dominican to uh, a youth group, whatever. I, I just was in every arena there, and it, it just, it took me to a different level. So, no, the Midwest is not ideal for comedy, but it, uh, it makes you hungry for comedy. <laughs> I hear it, yeah. I mean, that, that's like with Nashville. You know, we got, like, three places for comedy, and then you see a lot of people, you know, they'll just go anywhere they can find where they'll let them do some stand-up to hone their skills. But, you know, it, it, I was just kind of curious what it was like in Milwaukee. You know, I visited, but uh, didn't know a lot about the comedy there. I know they got the Topps Custard. That's one of my favorite places to stop. <laughs> <laughs> Recovered. Yeah, what are you yeah. talking about? Oh, man. Oh, the, the, the yeah. The custom stores, yeah. But um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about, I mean, I know you did the, the uh, it was, it, it's all deaf comedy, which is like the new deaf comedy jam. That had to have been a, a thrill of a lifetime to get to be a part of that. Do you understand how that, for me, was God telling me that he had his hand on me? Because... Yeah. I always wanted to do something where I had no limit and I could be Kelly. Um, that was my first time ever taping anything nationally. And they said, do exactly you. Huh? Wait, what? I don't have to alter it. I don't have to change who I am. I don't have to omit some words. I don't have to add. And they're like, no, please do exactly why we picked you. And, dude, I was scared as hell 
Okay, every time I look at that, I'm like, oh, man, I was scared as shit. Uh, everyone <laughs> loved my performance. But that was my first time, film, you know, doing that live. But, I, yeah. man, I'm telling you, when I, I'm ready for my second, third special because now I just know what to do and what camera to hit and just flow. So, I'm, yeah, it was, it was a time of my life. It changed my life, and it put me in a new league. It put me in a new level with, with people, but it also showed me that your life could change in the blink of an eye as long as you just keep going. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah, I saw it, and, and, yeah. I, and I really enjoyed it. And I thought, well, that's like that's like. Yeah, did I look scared? I, yeah. <laughs> did, I, did I look scared on here? No, not to me, but like I said, everybody's always the biggest credit. Like, when I go back and edit these podcasts, I always think I sound like I've been sucking on helium. But <laughs> it's always, no, actually, you, know, you, have a, you have a good, confident voice, so, but I, I want to talk to you, so. It's a it's a good voice. I like your voice, Josh. Thank you. It's a it's a Appalachian hillbilly. Is what it is. <laughs> yes, it is, and I and I and I'm here I'm here for it. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not y'all and everything. Yeah, them y'all. I love the y'all. And, yeah, and ain't still slipping there. But anyway, hey, I know you're busy, and and I love talking to you. You're very articulate, and intelligent. I think you're a brilliant comedian. Um, let's Thank tell you. all these natural folks how to how to link up with you on your socials and Instagrams and all that, if you would, please. Please follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. All of those are the exact same. Some may have an underscore uh, and, and here in different, different places, but you pull up the Kelly Kells, which is K-E-L-L-Y, K-E-L-L-Z. I should pop up right away. If not, it's underscore 22 or just 22. Um, and speaking of Nashville, we will be there on the 9th, 18th. So, I mean, we're going to be in Mobile. We're going to be in Nashville on the 19th. So, we need to have your people there, Josh, because I'm going to see you, right? Yeah, I'll be there with bells on. I'll stick out like a sore thumb. You'll know I'm in there. Oh, no, I won't. I'm actually sending you a T-shirt so you can have my T-shirt on. Yeah, heck yeah. Or, I'll, have, or I'll have you a T-shirt. Yeah, no, I'll, even if I can't send it, I'll give you one so to get there. you and my T-shirt, and then they'll yeah, know absolutely. that you're, you're there you. for me. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll sit up front. I ain't scared. Oh, you better not be scared. Yeah. Because I know you're going <laughs> to give us all the, all the energy we need. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great room. There's a lot of there's a lot of good in there. But uh, anyway, we're gonna get them uh, look on your social media and tell them we'll go to zanies.com, get on that ticket page, and get these uh, Vivica Fox presents uh, Funny by Nature, Miss Kelly Kells, who uh, you're very talented, and it was an honor to speak with you. What a fun and stimulating podcast that was. Special thanks to my guest Rod Abernathy and comedian Kelly Kells. It always does my heart good to interview folks that are talented both comedically and musically, and I got a healthy dose of both. And if you, the listeners, know anybody you think would be a great guest, have them hit me up, joshbelcher at hotmail.com. And I want you all to have a safe, happy, healthy, and prosperous week. And remember, I love you for you and where you're at in life. All right, we'll catch you next week. Thank you so much. All right, bye.